We're going to turn to John chapter 14, please, to take our text uh, tonight. The 14th chapter of John's Gospel. We're very thankful for the invitation to be here tonight. I'm very thankful for the, the very kind and warm words of welcome. We take the opportunity to thank you all sincerely uh, for your prayers and all the support and encouragement that we've received uh, over these last number of months. I was saying to some of the folk, uh, it's seven months today uh, from my twinkle at Dublin Airport, uh, collapsed with cardiac arrest and ended up in the Mater Hospital uh, in the city there in Dublin for a double heart bypass operation that that same evening. It, it is quite a story, uh, but it is a story uh, of the Lord's faithfulness and of his uh, providential care, his good hand upon us. One of my colleagues that was with me that day said that the Lord opened up the way right to the very operating table itself. Uh, some of the top uh, consultants in the hospital said it was a, a very unusual thing for them to have a free slot uh, in their operating theatre as they did uh, that, that day at that time. So we can see the Lord's hand in so many of uh, the details. They're very pleased with the progress that we've made and certainly feeling well, uh, been able to get our strength back, started back to work again on what the doctors call a phased return uh, at the beginning of September. Been edging myself back into the work again. Just did the morning services through the month of September and tried to fulfill any other bookings that we had. And since our harvest services at the beginning of October uh, have taken on uh, both of the services uh, again uh, from that time, we did pass through an unusual period as a congregation with uh, serious illnesses and deaths. There were six funerals uh, in, our, in our church from the beginning of, of August uh, for about a nine or ten week period. That first Lord's Day that I preached uh, both services, there was a funeral uh, that day a very large funeral uh, of a prominent member of our congregation and I ended up speaking five times uh, then on that first Lord's Day uh, back to do uh, the two services with the funeral uh, being that, that afternoon. Uh, but the Lord has certainly undertaken uh, for us and uh, we're very thankful for his good hand upon us. We, we have uh, known the Lord's people have been praying for us and we want to thank you sincerely for that. We've been overwhelmed by the messages that we received and uh, the support and uh, encouragement. And uh, I'm very thankful to be able to be here with you uh, tonight. And uh, very thankful to be here to share over this special weekend and the will of the Lord to, to be at the service uh, tomorrow. We appreciate your presence uh, with us at the service uh, here this evening. It's encouraging to have uh, all that have gathered. And we pray the Lord will give us uh, a special time around uh, the word of the Lord. When mention was made of that verse in uh, Matthew 24, uh, this generation shall not pass. Uh, the last time we were in Israel, uh, we went to the Yad Vashem, uh, the memorial there to the Jewish Holocaust. Uh, the guide that we had on our tour was a, a Dutch Jew, uh, Philip Kuhl, his father survived, survived uh, the Holocaust in, in Amsterdam and he told us uh, the story in quite a bit of detail that day as an introduction before we went in to see uh, the Holocaust Museum. Normally when uh, we go on those tours we pass a few comments along the way and I made mention of that verse at the end of uh, the tour that day thinking of what had happened to the Jewish people. Uh, during the Second World War, uh, the attempts to, uh, as it were, obliterate uh, the Jewish people from the earth, and I emphasize that promise to them that speaking not so much of a, uh, a period, some people think of the generation 40 years. There were many people when Israel was reborn as a nation in 1948 said the Lord would come again in 1988, thinking of the period there being uh, or the, the term generation being a period uh, but it's 
it's speaking of a people, uh, the nation of Israel, uh, will, will be on the earth. Uh, the Lord will keep his preserving hand upon that people until uh, the Saviour comes uh, again. We'll have a wee word of prayer together and then we'll, we'll come to our theme uh, tonight. Father, we bow uh, before thee, uh, thankful for your mercy uh, that has brought us here tonight. We want to pray for your good hand to rest upon the remainder of this gathering. We pray, Father, that you'll come even now, draw near. We remember those that went to Emmaus. It tells us that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And Lord, we plead that that might be our experience uh, tonight in this meeting. We want to know and feel and sense that the Saviour himself is drawing near uh, to us. We pray, Father, for your blessing. We ask you to bless this meeting, the remainder of it. Bless our time around your word. You have told us that we have not because we ask not. And Father, we're asking that you'll be pleased to bless us. We remember the prayer of Aksha to Caleb, her father, when she said, give me a blessing. And Father, that would be our simple and earnest request, even as we come to the scriptures now. Thank you for thy word. We praise thee for this book that's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. You've given to us this more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto we do well that we take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. And Lord, in the dark day in which we're found this dark end time age, we thank you for the light of scripture, the light of the prophetic word. And we pray that you'll help us tonight. We want to pray for a sight of our Saviour. We would see Jesus as the earnest cry of our hearts. We pray that you'll come and open up uh, your word uh, to us tonight. What a difference it would make to each one of us. Just to be given a sight of the Lord Jesus. The scriptures tell us of the disciples that they were glad uh, when they saw the Lord. And Lord, we would plead that we would have such an experience even in this uh, service uh, tonight. Fill us now with thy spirit. We come in our weakness and in our emptiness and we pray for the power of God. We pray the spirit will come down. We want to pray the spirit will come and guide and we pray that your word tonight will not be in the enticing words of man's wisdom but in the power and in the demonstration of the spirit of God. So answer, Father, these are prayers. We offer them to thee tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're taking as our text uh, John chapter 14. Uh, the words of verse 3. It's a familiar portion and a, a familiar promise. John 14 verse 3. The Saviour says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Think of the, the words particularly in the verse, I will come again. And keep in mind that these are uh, the words of the Saviour himself. It's an interesting study to think of the things in the scriptures that the Lord speaks about doing again. Uh, he can revive us again. And here we have perhaps... Uh, the greatest and most blessed example of that, he says, he will come again. This year, in the monthly meetings, it has been the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, his teaching and ministry, that has been the theme. And we come in the final uh, meeting of the series, the final uh, monthly meeting of this year, to consider uh, his coming, his return, uh, the coming again of uh, the Saviour. Can I emphasize to you, at the outset tonight, the scriptures teach that there are uh, two advents, in other, in other words, two arrivals, uh, two comings of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, not three comings, as the secret rapture people might suggest, uh, by all that they teach. They say he comes to the air and then later comes uh, to the earth. The scriptures teach that there are two advents, two comings, of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
his first advent is something that is past uh, some 2,000 years ago. The second advent, the second coming, uh, is something that is uh, future. We're mindful of the words of James in that context that the coming of the Lord draweth uh, nigh. And there are many signs around us in the events that are unfolding uh, that the coming of the Saviour uh, draws nigh. His second advent is yet future, something that we are looking for. And that's what we want to encourage uh, you to do. That's something that is a burden upon our hearts as we speak to the Lord's people about this precious theme of the coming again of the Saviour. We want you to to stir it up uh, to look for the coming uh, again of the Saviour. Think of Paul's words in the book of Hebrews, unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So we're looking for, we're waiting, and the Bible encourages us to wait patiently. Uh, We're to wait actively. It's not the sort of waiting where you sit in the doctor's uh, waiting room doing absolutely nothing. As we wait on the coming again of the Saviour, that's to be an active waiting. We're to occupy, the Bible says, until he comes. But we're looking for, we're waiting on the blessed hope of the coming again of the Saviour. Can I emphasize to you all tonight, can I remind you, that the second coming of Jesus Christ is one of the great fundamental truths, one of the great fundamental doctrines of the Word of God, one of the great fundamental doctrines of the Christian Church. It is a doctrine that is central. It is a doctrine that is essential uh, to all the teaching uh, of uh, the Scriptures. That, that does need to be emphasized as we think of uh, the day in which uh, we're found. There are some churches, some churches that state that they are fundamental, some churches that are evangelical, and yet they treat the second coming of the Saviour as if it is not a fundamental doctrine of the truth. It is, it's treated as if it's on a lower level. It's not given the prominence, not given the importance that uh, it ought to be. Remember that as far as the fundamentals of the faith are concerned, we're to proclaim them, we're to preach them uh, unashamedly with all our hearts, we're to defend them, uh, we're, we're to be earnestly, uh, we're to be set for the defence uh, of the gospel. Remember too that the scriptures teach that we're to proclaim the whole counsel uh, of God. So I want to emphasize, brethren and sisters, that we're coming tonight as we think of the coming again of the Saviour. We're coming to consider. We're coming to meditate for a little while. We're coming to proclaim one of the great fundamentals uh, of the Christian faith. There are, of course, uh, differences of opinions with regard to the coming again of the Saviour. There are disagreements with regard to many of the, the events Uh, that will unfold both before and after the coming again of the Saviour. Sometimes it is asked, how can that be? We all read uh, the same Bible. We all have the same scriptures. The the answer, I believe, to that question, brethren and sisters, is simply the fact that there are many who are not willing just to accept the plain and simple statement and teaching uh, of the Word uh, of God. And to do that, Uh, consistently uh, in every place. We take the scriptures literally uh, where possible. You think of that great verse in the book of Micah uh, that teaches us about uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus and thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth that is to be ruler in Israel. Everyone believes Everyone in the Christian church, the fundamental circles, that his birth in Bethlehem was literal. Bethlehem there is treated as actual, literal Bethlehem in the land of Israel. Well, if we're to be consistent in our exegesis of that text of Scripture, then when he's to be ruler in Israel, that is to be taken literally uh, as well. So we encourage, as far as you're Study your understanding of the Word of God is concerned. We 
Take the scriptures literally where possible. We encourage you uh, to do that consistently as you read and study right throughout uh, the word of God. Our own position as far as the coming again of the Saviour is concerned. The second coming can uh, sum it up for you like this. We are pre-mill and post-trip pre-millennial. The Saviour will come again before the millennial period. The millennium is the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus here upon the earth. So we will come again before the millennium. But it is, will be post-tribulational. In other words he will come after uh, that three and a half year period of tribulation. It will major focus primarily uh, upon the nation of Israel. The effects of it will of course be felt uh, much further afield. Our brother read that portion for us. Uh, tonight, Matthew 24, immediately after uh, the tribulation uh, of those uh, days. What we want to do tonight, brethren and sisters, is think a little of the manner of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How will uh, the Lord Jesus come uh, again? Here we have, in John 14, the Saviour himself speaking. The Saviour himself gives us this promise, he gives us this pledge of his return. He says, I will come uh, again. So here is the Lord Jesus himself speaking concerning his coming. And I want to give you uh, this evening some simple truths about the coming again of the Lord Jesus that he himself uh, taught when he was here upon this earth. Can I begin first of all and say as we think of what he taught about his, the manner of his coming? The Lord Jesus will come personally. He says, I will come again. Paul, when he was writing uh, to the Thessalonians, he, he made this a familiar statement. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Can I underline the word there himself? The Lord, speaking about the Lord Jesus, uh, the blessed Son of God, that he himself shall descend uh, from heaven. The Lord Jesus at his coming will not send an ambassador. It's not something we're familiar with. We hear talk of that uh, regularly in the news of our own government, our own country sending forth uh, ambassadors uh, to other nations to represent them and speak for them on our behalf. Remember that today the Lord Jesus sends us forth uh, as his ambassadors. In this day in this age in which we're found. That, that's a responsibility that he places upon us. We're to be ambassadors uh, for Christ. And I want to encourage you to be faithful in that responsibility. But when the Saviour comes again, he's not going to send an ambassador. He's not going to send a representative. He's not going to send a, a substitute. A substitute is one that takes the place of another. The Lord Jesus is coming uh, personally he, he says I will come again as we think of that the coming again the personal coming of the saviour let me remind you that there will be others with him the scriptures uh, teach us that the archangel uh, the archangel we believe to be perhaps a, a reference to Michael in my understanding he's the only one described or designated in the scriptures as the archangel but the archangel will come. He will accompany the Saviour. So will all the holy angels. Think of that. Marriots. Legions. Thousands upon thousands. All the holy angels. That will accompany the Saviour at his uh, return. But I emphasize to you. Brethren and sisters. As far as the, the coming again. The second coming of the Saviour. It is the Lord himself. It, he is the one who is coming. We ask the question tonight. It is Jesus Christ. The blessed son of God. And as we think of that. Men and women. We see how important. This great event is. You think of. A royal visit. If there was a royal visit to any town. Any village. Any locality. There would be nothing more important. And yet remember we are. Thinking here of the coming of. The king of kings. The one who is the lord of lords. 
the Old Testament with regard to David. It speaks about bringing back the king. And that's what we're thinking about tonight. The one who is the great king. The king of kings. We're going to bring back the king, men and women. So I emphasize the importance of this great event. This is the climax of the ages. The king himself is coming. Here is a, 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 an event, men and women, that is on unparalleled as far as its importance is concerned. And yet so few, even in the day in which we are found, consider the importance, consider this event at all. So few, even in Christian circles, give much time or thought to it, much study, so little preaching about the coming again of uh, the Saviour. So Jesus Christ is coming again. As we think of that personal coming, think of the question, why? Why is he coming? Why would the Lord Jesus uh, return again uh, to this earth? Well, we have it uh, in the words of our text. He's coming to receive his people. Our text says to receive you unto uh, himself. It's not a Tremendous truth, men and women. The Lord Jesus is coming for you and for me, those of us that know him, those of us that are redeemed uh, by his precious blood. Can I remind you tonight that the redemption of Christ is a full, a complete redemption? It's not just the redemption of the soul, it's the redemption of the body too. The complete redemption. Uh, Paul in the Romans speaks about uh, the redemption of our, of our body. And when the Lord Jesus comes, we will experience that complete uh, redemption. We, we were singing about it uh, just a little earlier. Redeemed, or sorry, resurrected. We're going to be raised from the dead. And we're going to be given that uh, glorified body. So I emphasize that to you, brethren and sisters. The Saviour's coming. Uh, to receive his people uh, unto himself. He wants his people to be with him. Our great desire as the Lord's people saved is to be with him. We want to go to heaven when our lives is over. But keep in mind that the Lord Jesus wants his people to be there uh, with him in heaven for all eternity. Think of his great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Uh, the, the great prayer, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me uh, where I am. So the Lord Jesus is coming. He's coming himself and he's coming to receive us. Coming to, to gather his people and to receive us unto himself. To be with him there in the glory land for all eternity. In the light of that, men and women, can I ask you tonight, will you be there? Will you be among that redeemed uh, people? The day the Saviour comes for the saved, for the person that's blood washed, that will be a glad day. But for the unsaved person, those still out of Christ, it will be uh, a sad day, an awful day. And which will it be uh, for you? So the Saviour's coming as we think of his manner, the manner of his coming. He's coming personally. I want to say to you as well, in the second place, as we think of what he taught about the manner of his coming, he's coming visibly. His coming will be something that is plain, plain to the, to the sight, plain to the eye. It's something that will be visible uh, for all to see. His, his second coming, his return to this earth, is not going to be something that's hidden. It's not going to be something that's secret. You hear much talk. In fundamental circles, particularly in North America, about the secret coming, the secret rapture and so on. That, that's not the teaching of the word of God. His coming again will not be hidden. It will not be secret. It's not something that's going to be covert. You think of a covert coming that's uh, done in camouflage and done quietly and, and so on. His coming again, men and women, is something that's going to be visible. Remember what John said in the book of the Revelation? Every eye shall see him. Now just take in the extent of what John is saying there. He's 
telling there's, there's going to be a day when faith will give way to sight. He's talking about seeing the Lord not by faith, but seeing him with your very eye. And he says that every eye shall see him. So it's stressing the fact that the coming of Christ is something that's going to be very clear. Something that's going to be very clear or plain. And something that's going to be uh, very visible. Can I point out, as you think of that, we're thinking uh, there of of seeing uh, the Lord Jesus. Can I point out you'll also hear his coming. 1 Thessalonians 4.16. We've made reference to it already. That the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. That men and women, despite the claim uh, used by the, the secret rapture proponents, they, they want you to think that's a quad verse, that there's not much noise associated with it, something that they would say is even silent. That is one of the noisiest verses in all the word of God. There's going to be the shout. The Lord himself will descend with the shout. We believe that to be the shout of the Lord himself, the shout of victory as he comes. There will be the voice of the archangel. We made reference earlier of the, the angels that will accompany him. The archangel, Michael, the guardian angel of the, the nation of Israel. Uh, Daniel was told with regard to Michael that he's your, your prince. So there's going to be the, the voice of the archangel. There's going to be the trump of God, the sounding forth of the trumpet. The book of the Revelation speaks of seven trumpets. Literal soundings of the trumpets in the last days. And this is the last trump, the last of those trumpets. So here's the noisiest verse in the Bible. You will hear when the Lord Jesus comes again. But you'll also uh, see him. His, his coming will be something that will be plain uh, to the sight. The fact is this, men and women. Don't you think for one moment that he'll come and you'll not know about it. Those two things that we have emphasized already make sure that everybody will know about it. Uh, the, the sounds and the voices that will, be, that will accompany it. And then the coming again, the visible coming of the Savior himself. Don't you think that he'll come and you'll not know about his uh, return? For that is simply not true. The Russellites, of course they don't like to be described as Russellites, the followers of Charles Taz Russell, the Jehovah's Witnesses, so-called, right down through their history. They have been renowned for setting dates and uh, making forecasts of when the Saviour would come again. Two of the most notable dates in their history, uh, 1874, then 40 years later, 1914. On both occasions, they made great forecasts great prophecies that that would be the year when the Lord Jesus was come again as you know every year came and went and the Lord Jesus has not yet returned they were asked where is the Lord Jesus obviously that would be the natural question you would want to ask uh, in those circumstances where is the Lord Jesus the answer they gave his return was secret it wasn't public it was secret that men and women is a lie. It's a lie from the pit. It's certainly not the teaching of the word of God. We want to stress to you tonight. If you haven't seen the Savior come, then it's a lie. If someone comes and tells you he has returned and you haven't seen it, it's a lie. It's not true. It hasn't come uh, to pass. You think of those words uh, that Mr. Monteith uh, read for us uh, tonight. Wherefore if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert. Well, go not forth. If somebody comes and tells you the Lord Jesus has come again and he's in the Sahara Desert. Well, the teaching of the word of God is this. It says, Behold, he's in, go not forth. Or if they say, Behold, he's in the secret chamber. You're not to believe it. Believe it not. Because this is the manner of his coming, men and women. As the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. The idea is that his coming will be something that is bright, something that is visible, something that is unmistakable, something that the whole world will know and see, 
Something that will lighten the very heavens, the whole of the heavens, from one end to the other. The very sky itself will be lightened with the brightness of his coming. The fact is, you will not miss it. Being absolutely no doubt about that tonight. No matter where you are, no matter what part of the earth you're in, no matter what you're doing, you'll not miss the coming again of the Saviour. You will not escape from it. You will not be able to hide from it if you're still out of Christ. You'll not be able to, to get away from it. As I emphasized here earlier, let me stress it to you again. But for the unsaved person, that will be an awful day. They will want to hide from the wrath of the Lamb, but will not be able so to do. So you will see him, men and women. You will see him when he comes again. Can I emphasize that the third matter, as we think of the manner of his coming personally, visibly, he will also come bodily, closely related to the, the truth we've been considering just previously. He will come bodily. The Savior will return in his uh, physical body. When we talk about the return, the second coming, the second advent of Christ, we're not speaking of a spiritual return. Think of the Spirit coming down at Pentecost and poured out mightily upon the church. That's not what we're thinking about or teaching. We're not talking about uh, a, a time of revival. We mentioned here earlier, revival is one of those things that has the word again attached to it. Will thou not revive us again? The Lord can repeat it over and over. But when we're talking about the second coming of Christ, it's not a spiritual return. It's not as it was at Pentecost. It's not a revival. It's not as it is when we sense his presence spiritually in a meeting such as this. The Lord Jesus is going to return bodily, men and women. The study of the body of Christ is a, a, a very interesting, a very blessed study. Can I remind you that it is true to say the Saviour has two bodies, his mystical, his spiritual body, which is uh, the church, and then his uh, physical body. The scriptures says, a body hast thou uh, prepared me. He's bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. He took upon him uh, our humanity. But the Lord's hand was upon the incarnation in such a way that he was born without the taint of original sin. It's a tremendous study, the body of Christ. You think of uh, those words, great is the mystery of godliness. That God was manifest in the flesh. That God revealed himself to this world in a human form. And that in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead uh, bodily. Just to ponder even those texts and the truths that's contained uh, within them. The body of Christ, a sinless body, in him is no sin. The great truth of immutability, that it was impossible uh, for Christ to sin. And that his body never saw uh, corruption. Uh, think of those words that are uh, spoken of the Saviour in particular in relation to his resurrection from the dead. As we think of the, the earthly life and ministry of the Lord Jesus, it is true to say this, bodily he lived, bodily he rose again from the grave and rose again triumphant over death. Bodily he ascended, he ascended up from the Mount of Olives just outside Jerusalem, ascended up to heaven. Bodily men and women, the Lord Jesus at this moment is in heaven. It is true to say that there is a man in the glory. There's a man that is seated at the Father's right hand. So bodily he lived, he rose, he ascended. Bodily he's in heaven. And bodily he will return again uh, to this earth. You think of what was said when the Saviour ascended up on high. The words that's recorded in the early part of Acts 1. This same Jesus. As you've seen him go into heaven, so he's going to come again. In like manner, he will come again. He ascended up in a bodily form, and in that very same body, he's going to come again 
uh, to this earth. And you remember what John said in the book of the Revelation. Uh, they also, uh, which pierced him, uh, shall see him. Every eye shall see him. And the word also there is telling us that in addition to every eye, in particular, those that pierced him. Pointing directly at the, the, the nation of Israel. They also which pierced him uh, shall see him. They will see his body. They will see the nail prints in his hands. So men and women, the return of Christ, his second coming, it's going to take place in a bodily form. And what will his body be like at the time of his coming? As we think of his body as it hung upon the tree, uh, just to, to picture that for a moment in our minds by way of contrast, his body as it was bruised, as it was beaten, his visage marred, more than any man, the nail prints in his hands and his feet and the, the mark of the spear in his side and the crown of thorns upon his head. You think of the blood that he shed. And in contrast to that, what will his body be like when he comes again? It'll be bright, men and women. It'll be glorious. His body will be powerful. The scriptures tell us that he's, he's coming in flaming fire. And taking vengeance on them that know not God. And that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You think of the, the person of the Antichrist that will arise at the time of the end. And the scriptures tell us that he will be destroyed. There will be the, the sword of his mouth. And there will be the brightness of his coming. So it gives you some idea of the bodily presence of Christ. At the time of the end. The time of his uh, return. In Zechariah 14, we're told there about the plague, that the Lord will smite those with that fought against uh, Jerusalem, right there at the very end of the age, just before the Saviour comes again. And that plague will be that their flesh shall be consumed away from their bodies. And many that speak on prophecy in these things will say to you, well, there's a very graphic picture of the atomic bomb, the nuclear age in which we're found. That is not so, men and women. It's the Lord's presence that will do those things. It's his coming, destroying them, flaming fire. Uh, he will destroy them with the brightness uh, of his coming. So we thought of his, his bodily return. Let me say to you something else that's found here in our text. As we think of the coming again of the Saviour. And he's coming certainly. He says, I will come again. This is something men and women that is absolutely certain. Something that is sure beyond the shadow of a doubt. In our chapter tonight that was read to us we had those words heaven and earth shall pass away. But my word shall never pass away. The, the sureness, the certainty of the promise. God is not a man that he should lie. May the Lord write that on your heart tonight. In this book, men and women, we have exceeding great and precious promises that are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. They're absolutely certain. The Lord Jesus has promised it. The words before you in John 14 verse 3, this is his promise, his pledge to us as his people. And he will keep it, men and women. If there's one thing that you can depend upon and trust in in this world of great uncertainty, it is his word, the, the sure promise of God. Men laugh at these things. Men scoff. The scriptures uh, foretold that. As Peter said, where is the promise of his coming? Don't we hear that all around us? But he will come, men and women. And he will come in his own time. Just as he came... The first time in fulfilment of his promise and the prophecies that were given. So we will come again uh, the second time. As we think of that we could ask, well why does he wait? Why does he delay? Can I tell you tonight why? Because our God is a God who is patient. A God who is merciful. A God who is long-suffering. Long-suffering. Towards particularly those out of Christ. 
Think of Peter's words. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Can you take that to heart tonight? That's emphasizing again the sureness of it. He's not slack. He's not careless. That that may mark many men uh, that we deal with from day to day. That might be the mark of uh, humanity in the day in which we live. Men are slack about the promises that they give. But the Lord's not like that. He's not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness. But he's long-suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. It's a, it's a revelation, an indication of his long-suffering towards this sinful world in which we're found. If you think of Methuselah. Methuselah is distinguished. He stands out in all history as the, the oldest man that ever lived. The, the, the individual that lived to the greatest age in the history of the world. 969 years of age. Almost to a millennium. We reckon in the days of the millennium, in the, in the days of the Saviour's reign, that ages of that sort of character will return and be commonplace again upon the earth. But why was it men and women? Why did Methuselah live so long? Why did he live for almost a, a thousand years? There's some uh, take the idea that his name has contained within it the meaning when he is dead, it shall come. Reference to the judgment. Uh, Noah's flood, the waters of Noah's flood. But it was a, an indication of God's patience towards that wicked that sinful generation that is a great picture of the end time generation as the Saviour taught in Luke chapter 17. God is waiting men and women to give time, to give opportunity for you to be saved. You know the old gospel hymn, many summers you have wasted, ripened harvests you have seen, winter snows by spring have melted, and still you linger. In your sin. The Lord has been very patient. Still not saved. We say to you be very careful. You need to flee to Christ. While there's still an opportunity. So he'll come certainly. There's one other thing I'll mention. Uh, to you tonight. Can I say something to you about the Lord coming. Uh, unexpectedly. We think of his coming. The second advent. There was a. Uh, a Bible teacher, I'll describe him in that way. Uh, in the 19th century, a man called Michael Baxter. He wrote a book called 40 Future Wonders. And in that book he set the date. Just like the Jehovah's Witnesses for the coming again of the Saviour. Set, set certain events. The dates came and went and the, the events were not fulfilled. So he wrote another book called 40 More Future Wonders. And in the second book he set the dates all over again, only he set them so far into the future that he would be dead and gone before they ever came. What happened was one day his wife was entertaining in the garden, and he came home, she had all these friends and visitors around, and he went over to where his wife was, and she offered him some sandwiches, and she said to him, they're date sandwiches, Michael. He said, are they good dates? She said, they're jolly sight better than yours. <laughs> Can we set a date, men and women, with regard to the Saviour's coming again? The answer, of course, is no. It would be foolish uh, so to do. The Scriptures themselves warn against it. In fact, it discredits the Gospel. You think of those that have uh, forecast. We've had examples of it in the United States in recent years. They forecast the date of the Saviour's coming and the date comes and goes and they do it in the Lord's name and they do it on the authority of God's word is that not a discredit to the cause of Christ and to the gospel of our saviour can the Lord Jesus come at any moment as certain uh, teachers of prophecy would want you to believe the answer again is no men and women because the reason why he cannot come at any moment is there are some great events to take place first there are some great events that are yet uh, to be fulfilled that must be fulfilled first before the coming of the Saviour uh, can take place. That day shall not come except there 
be a falling away first and the man of sin be uh, revealed. So there's to be the great apostasy, the great end time uh, apostasy. We believe that's unfolding before our very eyes, the man of sin to be revealed, the Antichrist. That has not yet taken place. The great tribulation period that we spoke about, that's the last half of this, the 70th week of Daniel. The book of the Revelation in the main gives us the details of the 70th week of uh, the book of Daniel. So there's to be the apostasy, the rising of the Antichrist, the great tribulation, the establishing of the, the ten kings in the Roman earth or the prophetic earth, that area around the, 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 the Mediterranean Sea. These men and women, all of these things must come first. And when these things begin to unfold, we will know, even as again in Matthew 24 we were taught tonight in the reading, they point to the near return. We will know that his approach is near, that it's even at the door, as that passage of scripture uh, teaches us. Remember that in two places, Paul and Peter both tell us that he's coming like a thief in the night. The idea there is the Saviour will come unexpectedly. But I want to stress to you men and women as we think of that. That that ought not to be so for the Christian. The Lord Jesus, his return to this earth should not be something that is unexpected. Or that it should take you by a surprise. In fact that's the teaching of the word of God. Paul writing in 1 Thessalonians 5 said, But ye brethren, listen carefully. Ye brethren are not in darkness, that that day, the day of his return, should overtake you as a thief. So I want you to be in no doubt about that tonight. For Bible teachers to suggest that for the Christian, that that day will be unexpected, that it will come as a thief in the night. It is wrong so to teach and so to suggest. Why should we not be taken unexpectedly by the coming again of the Saviour? Because we should be watching. We should be watching for the signs of his return, of his soon approach again to this world. And what that means, men and women, is you need to study the second coming. If you're going to be watching for the signs, if you're going to know what the signs are whenever they appear, then you need to study this subject and study it very carefully. There's an idea abroad today that you shouldn't study these things, that it's dangerous even to think about studying them too deeply. And how sad that is. How sad. But particularly when we think of what we said at the beginning. That this is one of the great fundamentals of uh, the Christian faith. But if you're going to watch. And the Bible exhorts us to watch. And to look for his appearing. Then you need to study. You need to know what to watch for. You need to know what to be looking for. As far as the prophetic calendar is concerned. You need to know the great subject of Bible prophecy. Peter said, we have a more sure word. Remember that tonight. More sure. There's nothing uncertain about it. A more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed. The Lord's saying here something that you'll be spending your time wisely in. You'll do well if you give time to, to devote to it. Ye do well that ye take heed. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Do you remember what... It's found there at the beginning of the book of the Revelation. Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the word. Of this prophecy. There's a special blessing. Men and women. Pronounced upon the reading. The study of that book of the Revelation. There's so much to tell us. About the time of the end. And then the days and the events that will lead up to. And even come after. The return again of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's one of the things. That the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony seeks to do. We want to encourage and stir up the Lord's people. In in an interest and in a great study of these uh, prophetic uh, scriptures. Can I say to you men and women. Can I say to you tonight. As we think of the return of the Saviour. That return unexpectedly. Can I say to you particularly if you uh, know not the Lord. The idea of him coming as a thief. A thief doesn't tell you when he will come. Make an appointment. He will come without warning. And the saviour is going to come without warning. And you need to be ready. If you're out of Christ. 
You need to be prepared. Be ye also ready. Is that true of you uh, tonight? You think of the ten virgins. Uh, The Bible Bible says of those virgins that uh, five of them were unprepared. Five of them were not ready for the coming again of the bridegroom. Are you ready tonight? Are you saved? Is your trust in Christ? Two things you must be ready for. One is for Jesus coming. And the other is for Jesus calling. Maybe he'll call you away from this scene of time. Before he returns again uh, to this earth. And can I stress to you. Just as I finish tonight brethren and sisters. We're thinking of the unsaved. The need to be ready. Can I ask. Are you ready for the coming again of uh, the saviour? You may be saved. But what about your life? What about your service uh, for the Lord Jesus? Would you want the Lord Jesus to come now and to find you as you are? Find your life tonight in the condition that, it's, that it is in presently, at this very moment? Mr. Paisley had a very famous sermon title, Caught Up or Caught On. I knew the fact is many Christians will be caught on when the Saviour comes again. Some people get caught on at work. They're not doing the job. They're fiddling the day away. They try to hide from the boss. And then suddenly, unexpectedly, he comes in and they're caught on in that shameful condition. And so it will be for many Christians when the Saviour comes again. Remember what John said in his first epistle? He speaks about those who will be ashamed before him and his coming. Would that be an awful thing for the Lord to come and you not to be ready, your life to be in a mess, to be caught on when the Saviour comes and to be ashamed? Wouldn't that be the ultimate shame for any person to be ashamed before him at his coming? Not, not ready. Do you remember that John said every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure? The second coming is a purifying doctrine. If it's preached to right it will have good effect upon the church, good effect upon the lives of God's people. That's one of the reasons why the devil doesn't want this truth to be preached as it ought uh, to be. You need to be ready brethren and sisters. You need to be prepared uh, for the coming again uh, of uh, the Saviour. So this is a little tonight of the manner uh, of his uh, coming. The Saviour pledges, may the promise be a fresh blessing to your heart tonight. I will come again and receive you unto myself. May the Lord bless his word.